0: What does it mean to be a human being created in the image of God? In the brave new world of today, that's a loaded question. Modern culture in the West has affirmed a radical reinvention of the self that was barely imaginable when J. Gresham Machen wrote Christianity and Liberalism in 1923. Not only is LGBTQ ideology inescapable in schools, books, movies, fashion, sports, even beer and car commercials, it has become a dogma of the mainstream. And yet, as radical as this seems, there are prescient notes throughout Machen's 100-year-old book, words from his time that can help us make sense of our own, principles that help us to take every thought captive, even in a world that insists on allegiance to being everything we want to be, whenever we want it, on demand. Politics, technology, identity, power, science, everything seems to be changing. So why not faith? This is Christianity and Liberalism, a podcast based on the book by Jay Gresham machin In this show, we'll be discussing a modern-day church in crisis, and engaging with Mason's classic text to see what lessons we can learn and apply 100 years later. The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is God and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will
1: stand We bring the antithesis, the lambs dripping wrists Is still the only answer for man's wickedness The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is God and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand CNL, with Machen we will tell Faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell
0: In our last episode, I talked with Rosaria Butterfield about views on sexual attraction, identity, and transgenderism in the church today. Rosaria is a former professor of English at Syracuse University and the author of The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert and The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Like Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, her newest book, Five Lies of an Anti Christian Age, takes a critical look at some of what makes up the contemporary controversies in the church. That's where we picked up our conversation. Well, I'll transition now to our third segment on the affirming church. I think this will get you animated. Uh,
2: (laughs) Have I been sluggish?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just a bit. I'll get you, I'll I'll pick it up a little bit. Uh, in In his chapter on God and man, Machen says of the liberal church, quote, It is unnecessary, we are told, to have a conception of God. Theology or the knowledge of God, it is said, is the death of religion. We should not seek to know God, but should merely feel his presence. End quote. This seems to track with uh, another lie you confront in your new book namely, that being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Mm-hmm. On the surface, it seems like a good thing to be kind, uh, a kind, sensitive Christian. Is there a a real tension between emotion, kindness, and biblical Christianity? And why would our culture prefer one over the other?
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think if I can just back us up a little bit, like, how did we get to this affirming church? Like, why would I, why would you, why would reformed Presbyterians, like, why, do we, why would concerned. that, which is a false religion, be like, somehow in my living room here and and I think it, it really started with um the West Hill idea that you know gay is who he is not how he is but who he is and his job is to sanctify his gayness for the world because because of his gayness you know he appreciates art and male bodies because the rest of us don't, you know you have to be it, it it's it's a gnostic, you know, privilege that whatever sin pattern God gave you, you know, if God gave you lemons, make lemonade. Don't mortify it. Don't kill it. Make lemonade. Um, And that's a sinful, ridiculous, pagan idea. And we, for about 10 years, called it Christian and even conservative, because we acted as though Sin is only a problem in its physicality. So as long as you're not having sex with other men, Wes, you're good. You're a conservative. You're a noble sacrificing Christian. No, you're not. You're being a heretic, at least on this subject. Mortify your sin. God does not tell you to sanctify your sin. You can't. It will kill you. What your sin will do, you know, especially if you love it so, you know, it's like a little baby tiger when you first meet it. It's so cute and it's like you could hold it in your hands and it has stripes and you pet it. And, you know, you know, it could grow to be big. And so you buy it a collar and a leash and three months later, it eats you alive because that's its job and that's what we see but we don't want to talk about it cuz we're in the low visibility realm right we're in we don't we're trying to be way too polite so what i would say is before the affirming church became a problem for us cuz it's not a problem for me until it starts to infiltrate and it infiltrates through revoice it infiltrates through west hill it infiltrates through preston sprinkle um um, it in you know, and so now it's all very, very kind of muddy. And what you see with the pagan church, you know, paganism is ultimately non binary. Biblical Christianity is binary. There is God, there is man, they are different. In paganism, God is inside you, you are God. Um, in, in, um, in biblical Christianity, um, there are two kinds of people, people who have re- repented and believe and who have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we you know, slog along and we stumble and we fall and people who don't think they need him. Um, as John 319 says that we love the darkness in our sin and. Um, but in, you know, in paganism, um, everyone shares in a kind of divine power. And if we just unite, we're going to have a new level of world peace. The sidewalks won't be melting. All will be well. Um, in biblical Christianity, um, what spirituality means is worship and service. We are to give our worship to um, to uh, the living triune God. But in paganism, You know, every religion has a little bit of truth, you know, that coexist bumper sticker. We can take a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Buddhism and, you know, we can kind of invent our own way for doing this. And, um, you know, in biblical Christianity, there's a big problem. And um, if we reject God's authority and his definition of the world of who we are and we don't buy we don't live by his laws and we refuse his solution, we're going to go to hell and for eternity. And that's awful. Um, but in a pagan spirituality, you're just going to, you know, be part of the flowers and you're going to compost the world and it's just fine. It's just the cycle of life. And so these are radically different religions, but you see their, you see their, their, um, diffusion everywhere. Anytime anybody tells you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is inclusive, what they mean by that is, you know, just think, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. It, it includes, you know, all of these things, or you can be a Christian and support black lives matter. Well, no, you actually can't because that's an atheistic organization and under atheism, no lives matter. It So um, but too many of, especially our megachurch, the megachurch pastors who have had a platform on the internet and, you know, it, you know, in your, in your local, you know, world, too many of them have just taken a little bit of, you know, a little bit of this and kind of quilted the two together. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's, I'd say it's a, it's a really serious problem and it leads to all manner of of dangerous observations um you know in a book called very bad book called embodied really middle uh, misleading subtitle by preston sprinkle transgender identities the church and what the bible has to say okay i want to know what the bible has to say about transgender identities i might pick this up and since gospel coalition gave it a good review you know i might be interested in reading it but um You know, when I look up what he has to say about intersex conditions in the fall, you see a primary example of what Machen is warning against. He says, some say that intersex conditions are caused by the fall. And he actually puts the fall in scare quotes. Now, (laughs) I just need to ponder that for a minute. Who puts the fall In scare quotes. See, in case we have listeners who don't know why you might use scare quotes, you would use scare quotes to indicate you don't believe something's true. It's what people say, but you don't believe it's true. Okay, Preston, let's go on. Others think they were part of God's original pre-fall design. And then here, I used to punt to the fall whenever intersex conditions came up in conversation, but I've become a bit more cautious about doing this. Maybe it's theologically true. Maybe it's not. Prime example of how the affirmative church slips into the church. Um, When in doubt, don't answer a question clearly. Just punt for a postmodern seeding of the moral language to the left. Always do that. And then here's how he explains it. I wasn't in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. And if I'm honest, oh, thank you. Thank you, Preston. I know less about the fall and its impact on humanity than I thought I did. Well, why don't you ask somebody who can read and we'll read Genesis 1 and 2 for you? See, do you see what I mean? Again, maybe he just has a reading comprehension problem. I, I I'm a homeschool mom. I work with reading problems, but... I think this is an example of what we're talking about. And I think we just have to have our wits about us and say, I don't care how many conservatives blurbed this book, this is liberalism. And liberalism is, as Machen has taught us and taught us so well, a different religion.
0: We talked a little about Romans 1 in our first episode with Rosaria. And this got me thinking about John Murray's commentary on that book. I asked her what she thought about Murray's view on those who give approval to sin. You know, it's interesting too, John Murray in his commentary on Romans 1 indicates that Paul's list of the symptoms of depravity doesn't peak with the homosexual act itself, but with those who give approval to those who practice them. Right. So right. That's, that is a scary word. And you
2: know, church. what's key about it, because I know we keep hearing, I know that homosexuality doesn't send you to hell because heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven. And then you make all of these moral equivalencies between heterosexuality and homosexuality. And, um, you know, I think we need to remember that, that you can, um, in a context of one man and one woman, you can certainly sin. You can sin by committing adultery. You can sin by engaging in pornography. There's a lot of sin of practice that you can do. But in homosexuality, every homosexual act or desire is a double sin. It's a sin of practice, and it's a sin of pattern. And I think, you know, I like about John Murray, as he talks about um, Romans 1, you know you even see that in this idea that you know and again what Thomas Watson talks about it in the uh, the doctrine of repentance he you know he says that loving a sin is worse than committing it and it's the same thing this idea that you advocate for sin and you are committing a double sin and and so you know side B Christians um Soft presence Christians, Christians who who consistently cede the moral language to the left. Um, You know David French's, you know uh, New York Times opinion pieces. Um, I mean his his statement even six months ago that uh, um, the um, I'm not I'm not sure quite how he put it, but the Obergefell decision. It was about whether Obergefell should be repealed or not, and what about these good people who have you know based their lives on it? Well. You know what? It is not in any Christian's best interest to be putting stumbling blocks in front of fellow believers. That will be a sin that will be accounted to us. Okay, that is our sin. Hmm. So we need to stop.
0: Yeah. We need to no, stop that's, this
2: nonsense. Uh
0: that's helpful. It's it's a stern word. It's a needed word. Uh and I, it seems like given the fact that, like you said, we're at ground zero at the Tower of Babel. <laughs> We don't have any other options.
2: <laughs> no. And when you look at something like Jude 23, you know, what it means to to rescue someone as if from the fire.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if that happened to you or to me right now and the fireman broke my rib, I wouldn't sue him. <laughs>
0: yeah. I yeah,
2: thank that's- him.
0: <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no matter the cost. As Herman Boving said in his foreword To the Wonderful Works of God, each generation needs to state biblical truth once again for its time. And that's what Rosaria tried to do in her new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, in which, like Machen, she confronts a modern worldview at odds with biblical wisdom. I asked her about some of the lies she discusses in the book and how the church can avoid the slide into liberalism in addressing these lies. You recently wrote an excellent book called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in this new book and in your first book, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, you've written extensively about the church's engagement with homosexuality, transgenderism, and feminism. Mm -hmm. Obviously, The first two weren't issues at the forefront of national discourse when Machen wrote Christianity and Liberalism in 1923, but there is certainly a clear connection between this 100-year-old book and the five lies you confront. So, for example, one lie is that feminism is good for the world and the church. We talked about defining our terms in our first episode. Can we define feminism for our listeners just to begin with and then I've got some yeah. follow up questions.
2: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, feminism is um defines a woman apart from the context that first Corinthians provides. Um so it feminism is ultimately a a secular and atheistic paradigm. So we we're not expecting it to do anything else, but but um um uh, you know, first Corinthians we know that um that 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 woman is the glory of man. And, um and that um and that woman is made for man and that man is made from woman right and both to glorify God mm-hmm. and um what feminism does is it takes aim at the creation ordinance and specifically the question of you know, progeny and patriarchy men and babies and and wants to, empower, I think it does want to empower women by extracting her from that relational context. Um, Feminism began, uh, Western feminism began with Mary Wollstonecraft's The, The Vindication of the Rights of Woman. And, you know, Wollstonecraft in that book defines marriage as slavery. And so... Um, and so it's it's an it's an interesting thing to me I mean at this point in the world have you seen feminism in the world? No because transgenderism has canceled it out okay but mm-hmm. it's alive and well in the egalitarian church and that I think is a window into part of the problem right now and that is that the church is not leading the world but it's lagging it's about five years behind
0: yeah and, and I guess the question there is if if we reject feminism which, we should if you're a yeah. biblical Christian right uh, what role can women have in helping the church embrace biblical Christianity and avoid liberalism?
2: Yeah yeah well, a, a huge role um uh, you know I'm um, I'm dizzy with all of the roles I've played in various contexts in my life um and the role I play right now as a mother and a grandmother and a homeschool mom, is is easily the most powerful role I've ever held in my life. Um, I can do fifty things that nobody else can do for my family before nine a.m. Uh, I mean, I you know, and, and it's not that <laughs> so I'm so true. good at it. It's just that I'm mom and I'm grandma and I'm the one who does those things. Um, and and so the idea that men lead and teach and protect and women submit and nurture and um, and keep everybody to the degree that they can alive, <laughs> why do we despise that? We despise it because somehow we think that if woman could just go off on her own, she could do it better. And we also do it because we actually believe the, I mean, this, we don't, the the church doesn't, but the secular, a secular, really a world, the world believes that men and women are interchangeable anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, I, I think it's risky to be a, a biblical woman. I think p- partly because you just have to deal with the mockery of the world. I mean, I remember when, even when Kent and I first, Uh, We're going to get married. We were engaged. And um, I was at that point um, a tenured professor at Syracuse, but I was also a visiting professor at Geneva College. And, um, you know, there are these like immediately these three options. I, I could go back to Syracuse and be a tenured professor. And of course, who wouldn't want a strong Christian in that role? I could stay at Geneva and work as a Christian in a Christian university. Well, who wouldn't want me in that role? Or I could be a church planner's wife and clean toilets first thing Lord's Day morning uh, at the community center where the church meant. And that night before was open men's basketball, you know. And so you can imagine there were people who had some opinions for me. Of course. Um, yeah. And yet there's no way that I could be Kent's wife and somehow do all those other things too. I was either going to be Kent's wife and then Whatever work I did outside the home, you know, whatever it was, would support Kent's mission for where our home was going, or I could be at odds with him. And I'm very grateful that the Lord led me very clearly to just be Kent's wife. I needed to rest. I needed to learn. I needed to learn how to be protected by a godly man. I needed to learn all those things. And I needed to learn that outside of the spotlight of the university.
0: And I mean, what, what you did too is basically what Moses did when he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt mm-hmm. in many ways, mm-hmm. but also between two good things. Uh, mm-hmm. you, like you said, you could have had a really effective ministry in a Christian environment and non-Christian environment. And the world renders their verdict on that. Just says it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. It's a waste of talent. What did you get your education for?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And yet it is, in a very real sense, a, a fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ mm-hmm. on behalf of your family, and and it's a very dignified and honorable work. And I think that's really important and, message to and declare. You
2: know, the, the Lord has blessed the writing I've done. Yes. So you know, because I had people say things like, "You'll never write again." Well. Goodness gracious, that turned out to not be true. Yes. So, true. I mean, I think the Lord will just, you the Lord magnifies your work. Mm-hmm. And you can kick against the goads all day long. But if he doesn't want you to do something, then trying to do it is just going to wear you out and have you accumulate sin in the process. Mm. So why do it?
0: In Christianity and liberalism, Machen identifies a turn to paganism in 1923, a trend that Rosaria also identifies in 2023 in her new book. I asked her about what that means for our apologetic. Here's Machen in a clip from the Christianity and liberalism
1: audiobook. 75 years ago, Western civilization, despite inconsistencies, was still predominantly Christian. Today, it is predominantly pagan. In speaking of paganism, we're not using the term of reproach. Ancient Greece was pagan, but it was glorious, and the modern world has not even begun to equal its achievements. What then is paganism? The answer is not really difficult. Paganism is that view of life which finds the highest goal of human existence in the healthy and harmonious and joyous development of existing human faculties. Very different is the Christian ideal. Paganism is optimistic with regard to unaided human nature, whereas Christianity is the religion of the broken heart.
0: And you mentioned paganism. In -hmm. your book, you say that, uh, quote, as Western culture moved from secularism to paganism, as opposition to the Bible and to Christ moved from anti-religion to competing religion, something strange happened well-meaning Christians started to see conformity to culture as missional, mm-hmm. which really tracks with Machen's thesis in Christianity and liberalism yeah. as he was identifying a pagan turn in 1923. Yeah, And then you add, the new unbiblical spirituality has deep roots in paganism, but also in materialism. What more specifically are those pagan... Well, we talked about the pagan roots, but what specifically... Uh, are those materialistic roots? Yeah. Uh, can yeah, you describe? Yeah. Can you describe that for me?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I should say I'm just, uh, you know, there, somewhere embedded in there, there is a long quotation from Peter Jones, who I think I learned, I learned all of this from. So Peter Jones, Truth Exchange is um, our most brilliant spokesperson. I, I'm, I'm going to be a poor, poor representative. But ideas have a material force. So so I I don't I mean, I you could talk about that in terms of like the materialism of of culture, of being Christians who've just really enjoyed living off the fat of Babylon for a while. We're pretty soft. Um, We could talk about the materialism of Christians who remember a day when the government schools, you know, had what we thought was our best interest in mind and. We therefore use the convenience of that. We could talk about it that way, but I, I would be more interested in thinking about it in terms of how ideas have a material force, and those ideas, um, you know, impact the the are uh, they they silence us from the get go because we don't want to offend people. Um, and you know, I think what happens too for those of us who um, have made a career out of offending people, you know, the, the first couple of times. Uh, you're accused, uh, I mean, like, you know, I'm Presbyterian. So if you come at me and accuse me of slandering you, my my session will take this up. And if it turns out that you really have disqualified yourself from the ministry, but your more liberal reform denomination doesn't want to say that, my session will tell you that too. So I think what we need to be willing to do in a world where these in a world where this kind of dialogue does have material consequences, I think we need to be a little bit thicker skinned and we need to be willing to have the conversation and finish the conversation. Mm -hmm. Because should the Lord tarry and history remembers these days, it will be the equivalent of sacrificing our children to Moloch. These are not small things we're doing here. And also I would say the the consequences of the the, the transgender ideolo- ideologies harm on the human body, not to mention on things like women's sports, uh, but just on the on the human body cannot be minimized. Um, I mean, it was a shocking thing when um, Goethe. Wrote that uh, that book, The Sufferings of Young Werther, and um, let's see if I, I might even have. Yeah, that was that was uh, 1774. It was a really shocking thing to introduce this new idea, German Romanticism, that you are empowered by suicide, and it was really shocking that that book spawned all these suicides throughout. You know. Europe, especially Germany, well, we're, we're in the same place only on blast right now. And Christians, if all, if all Christians just found their voice, just like Machen did and said, okay, you know, sue me, fire me, excommunicate me. I will say the truth. And if I'm wrong, I will repent publicly and loudly. But I think this is heresy. I think this is, I think this is, I think the wolves have stormed the pulpit. And and I think we need to not tolerate it. In fact, I know we need to not tolerate it. Um, You know, good old Jenny Geddes, right? There she was sitting on her stool when the uh, state sponsored, you know, before the English Civil War, when the state sponsored um, pastor came in to read from a, a book of common prayer that had roman catholicism in it and you know i don't know that she spoke but she stood up and she threw her stool at his head that was a good move and our reformed churches benefit from that quick thinking
0: so to sum up what you're saying there is a time to be a warrior and that time is now
2: Amen and amen. Well, and you know we do remember that we war differently. I mean our the weapons of our war I mean I suppose from the stool example you might think the weapons of our war I think would be um you know stools but no that is not true. The the weapons of our war we know are spiritual. Um, But we are not to be so foolish as to think that we can, um, um, uh, you know, extract the integrity of the word of God from our minds and our discourses and our teaching and that somehow we're ready for this war. They are spiritual, but they are meaning that, you know, when we say that they're spiritual, we mean that we are ready to have an intervention. And I mean, what I mean by that is we're ready to tell the parents of the transgender swimmer, you're committing child abuse by supporting this and pay the consequences of it. I mean, it just be, and I don't mean we have to write it in the newspaper. We could have a very gentle, very quiet one-on-one conversation as two grown grown-ups. None of the children have to be around. Nobody needs to be there, but this idea that you can be a soft presence in Sodom is as nuts as any of this, and we need to wake up from that kind of um, cowardice and deception because that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I
0: remember you wrote a story about how Kent, your husband, confronted kindly confronted Jeremy. And yeah. I thought that was a really good example of being forthright, but kind, and and a, and a way to wage that war. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I would say, you know, we uh, we practice a pretty consistent hospitality around here. And our neighbors know, if you want to have a conversation, you know, we're going to, we could talk privately. You can bring your friends. If you want to know why Christians oppose this. We can answer it. We both believe firmly that um, um, when the strength of your relationship matches the strength of your words, that is a good thing. Uh, You know, neither of us are on social media. We don't we don't, you know, talk anonymously to the you know, to the world We're. we're we're, you know, you know where to find us. But um, but yeah, I mean, we both are we both confront people. Um, because we love them, and we want them to know the truth, and we don't want them the the harm of transgenderism. I have known so many detransitioners, and it is a gothic Frankensteinian hell of a nightmare. And we're talking about fifteen year old girls. Okay. We're, you know, like, we're, you know, and you remember, I mean, I remember, I remember I was part of it when the gay rights movement would talk about consenting adults. We haven't talked about, we haven't said consenting adults in, you know, a decade. Um. So, I, so as Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ and whether we are teaching our children at home or whether we're, teaching as you are in a seminary or whether we are um, walking the dogs with our neighbors, uh, the Lord will magnify our, our words should they be faithful to him. And we want them to be faithful to him. We are not ashamed of the gospel, but we need to stop these silly, mindless, vapid, Category mistakes. You're not being missional by being a soft presence. Your neighbors are not going to catch the gospel the way they might, you're cold simply by sitting next to them in a restaurant. It is by the hearing of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that you probably will be hated. And so um, I, the government schools are not your friends. The LGBTQ um, ideology is not in sex education anymore, where you do have the privilege of removing your child. It's in anti-bullying legislation where you are not able to remove your child. Um, We don't need to be nodding and smiling when someone self-identifies as a conservative Christian like Preston Sprinkle. That does not get you to heaven your justification does. So we need to be, um, our guard needs to be up and we need to be more alert than we are. And Machen helps us get there more than any other uh, theologian. He is the man for our day.
0: We'll dive deeper into Machen's chapter on the Bible in a later episode. But as I read Rosera's new book, one quote stood out to me that I had to ask her about. Transitioning then to our last segment and perhaps the most important one on identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. Toward the end of a chapter in your book, after describing your own introduction to biblical Christianity, you say that, quote, the most divisive issue of today within Christianity is what the Bible means and what the Bible is. All other debates are downstream from this one, end quote. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack that? Why is this such a critical distinction for understanding who we are in Christ?
2: Right, right, right. And that, you know, there's nothing, I, I don't think I'm smart and that I invented that. All that is, is the, um, you know, the first chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. <laughs> That's <all I> <laughs> written <laughs> That's in layman's terms <laughs> so that the moms next door can read it. It's just simply about The need to remember that in scripture, there are no, uh, the way that the confession puts it, manifold uh, meanings. In other words, there are, scripture means what it says. And if you abandon inerrancy and you just want to kind of like, well, you know, some of the Bible is true. I just don't know which parts those are. Then literally every time the Bible crosses you, which should be every day, you're going to say, I'll bet that's one of those times the Bible isn't true. It can't be true. My feelings are good and noble and kind and look at all the good things I've done in the world. Mm. And so really, I think the first chapter of Westminster Confession of Faith is extremely helpful in unpacking for us how how to read the bible and not only what the not only for what it says but for what it is mm-hmm. it is god knowing your heart better than you do and that's why you can trust it not just i mean i know it's truthful and we want it to be we want we value truth we think i mean that is what we want but we also, um, it's its the loveliness of God and it's God rescuing you from yourself. Um, it, you know, the, I'm reading from the Confession here, the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. Um, mm-hmm. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which is not manifold, but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly, and so we are to be in the Word passionately. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what is going to? What will we have in heaven? Praise God! None of Rosarius' books. <laughs> you know, we're going to have the Word of God, and um, and we will understand it. So yes, it's authoritative. Yes, it's sufficient. Yes, it's infallible. Yes, it's inerrant. And yes. It knows you. It loves you. It searches your heart. It's the tractor beam that um, that that we use so that we don't we don't destroy the people we love, mm-hmm. and we don't deny the God we love.
0: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Now, Machen says another place, it is quite useless for the preacher to breathe out fire and brimstone from the pulpit if at the same time the occupants of the pews go on taking sin very lightly and being content with the moral standards of the world. The rank and file of the church must do their part in so proclaiming the law of God by their lives that the secrets of men's hearts shall be revealed. How can we be an open church that is honest about sin without being an affirming church that is
2: comfortable with sin? right 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 well and i think that's where um uh, you know and this is where my my i'm going to channel my husband's cuz he's the pastor here um you know a, a, if a church is so big that it doesn't know each other that's not a church if the, if the shepherd can't shepherd the sheep uh, that's not a church i've actually introduced megachurch pastors to their flock before because I've been at conferences and somebody wants to talk to me. Some famous pastor wants to talk to me about the book and I'm standing next to a person who worships under him and he knows me, but he doesn't know her. And you know what? That's a sin. That's a, that. And that, and you know what? You should feel shame for that, but, but they don't, they don't. And so the first is you need to be in a church where you're actually a church, you're a body and you know each other. But, you know, you need to do that. Um, The other thing, so the church has to be small enough and functional enough, and the church needs to live like the family of God. If your only encounter with the people in your church is Lord's Day morning from 10 to 12, how in the world do you have any meaningful anything with them? Um, You know, and then I would say, too, we all need to be transparent about the sins that we need help with. Um, and I mean that, I mean that at the church level, if you're a public figure and you sin publicly, you need to repent. It's not a small thing, even if it was 10 years ago, the things you, you know, if you wrote it in a book, it's living on in seven, you know, translations and other things. So you've got to be willing to do that. Um, and this is also where hospitality comes in, um, because when you can linger long around the table with each other, um, things come up. And then finally, I would say that we need to be available to each other in the church in a special way that we're maybe not available to everybody else. We need to be interruptible. We need to see the members of our church as um, people whose Christian lives are so indelibly um, important to our own that we would no sooner not take a phone call from them than we would, you know, I don't know, fast for three days just because we didn't get around to eating. It just we need to really love each other that way. Um, um and, and I think too, though, I I would say that it is not the fire and brimstone preachers in small reformed press, you know, small reformed churches where the pastor shepherds the flock. And the flock stumbles and picks themselves up and asks for help. That's not, I I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen that as some kind of pressing problem. It's the milk toast, panty waste, you know, nuanced, ambiguous pluralism that just, you know, and then, and then what I see is the flock is just, you know, the, you know, the way Psalm 23 puts it is they're cast down. They've fallen on their back and they can't get up. They literally have no, you know, back to voice. They don't know what to say. Um, And so any preacher who makes sure that the word of God is transparently and I would say expositorily proclaimed so that just people like me sitting in the pews, we know how to talk to our neighbor. Even though it's awkward, it will be awkward. If you are the first person bringing the Bible up in a conversation, it will be awkward. That's not the point. Um, but if 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 we are equipped to do that, um, that is a really good thing. But I don't, um, I, I, again, I'm not sure what the preaching was like during Machen's Day, but I'm not seeing a lot of fire and brimstone preaching coming out of our local megachurch. I'm seeing a lot of you know, therapeutic, um, self-help. What's your anagram? Um, you know, don't rock the boat. And I just think it's, it scares sheep hmm. and yep. it's, you know, and it casts them down.
0: If moralistic therapeutic deism and self-help enneagrams won't cut it, what does the church have to offer? The answer machin tells us, is found in the secrets of glory's past, in something much older and mysterious. It's found in the scripture, the sacraments, the creeds and confessions of the Christian church, where we discover that our hope isn't found in ourselves or in our feelings. It's found in a person, Jesus Christ. It's there in Christ that we receive the most wonderful gift God has ever bestowed a supernatural savior who gives us a new identity, his own. So then finding our identity in Christ, we would all agree is the most wonderful gift to humans since the fall. How can the church offer this as a message of hope to our culture in 2023? What's better about finding your identity and worth in Christ versus finding it in yourself or in your feelings?
2: Right, 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 right. Well, Christ is the captain of your faith and union with Christ is the most, it, it's a little taste of heaven is what it is along with prayer, right? The Puritans would tell you that your union with Christ and prayer are the things that connect you to heaven. And, you know, a church that has a prayer meeting that most people go to is a pretty vibrant church. And it could be, it could be a church of 25 people, but I will tell you if their prayer meeting is, uh, is populated by 20 of them, that's a church that's going to make it. And so, you know, we're to grow in Christ in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And if that is our main objective, then the Lord himself will use us as arrows in this world and he will also protect us, um, and you know it, it, it's a hard it's a hard call, right? Because we we are we are definitely moving into a season where we will see persecution and we will see more of it. And Hebrews eleven tells us something that we don't like to hear: that being sawn in two is actually the same thing as being saved from the mouths of the lions, because God will use both. We have a strong opinion about which one we'd like to be. Thank you, but. Um, the the gospel doesn't lose even when a Christian loses his life um And so um as we grow in knowledge righteousness and holiness, we um we are more and more anchored to the captain of our soul um if we grow in um our own notions, our 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 anagram, our personality, our, our hopes and dreams using our gifts. I mean, however you want to just, then we are going to become more and more and more distant from the sacrificial reality of what it means to grow in Christ. I mean, what it means to grow in Christ is, you know, Titus two says that um, our life is a doctrine that our life is a manifestation of the doctrine. And um, you know, and, 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 you know, Philippians tells us that we are to shore up our sufferings, that we are to join in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Um, We are not to despise that. We are not to um, reject that. We are not to recoil from that. Mm. Those are those are very good things. Um, But the therapy, you know, it's interesting to me because I I'm, I'm old. I'm going to be 61 soon. I'm that's, feeling that's
0: it. That's not old. Like,
2: well, okay, okay. Well, I, my grandson thinks it is. And I sort of do too sometimes. But um you know, the, it is just so common for young Christians to have a therapist that contradicts what their pastor and elders are saying. And I just think I think Christians have to stop setting themselves up to fail.
0: Yeah. Oh, you know, that, stop that, it. That hits home for me because recently I had A former student who started seeing a therapist, a Mm post-structuralist feminist therapist, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he's just denied the faith and just told me that it is heart-wrenching.
2: Exactly. He set himself
0: up for failure.
2: (laughs) Exactly. But you know, but and we need to warn people against that. This is not. It is not just a that. That is not an anomaly. What you've described and it is so tragic. And it is so, um, and it's satanic is what it is. Mm -hmm. It is really, you know, because um, really the the elders are to shepherd your life. Um, But the other issue is that there are many, many ideas that people learn, especially in, in feminist therapy, that is just, you know, completely antithetical to the gospel. And one has been almost imbibed wholesale by the broad evangelical church and that is redefinitions of abuse hmm. you know our new definitions of abuse will say that anytime, time time there is a power differential between a man and a woman in a relationship that is an abusive relationship so i guess all pastors wives are in terribly abusive relationships right because our husband's Uh, are part of a session that could, what, excommunicate us. I mean, like, you know, it's such nonsense. And, but I've, you know, witnessed people literally torn up by this, like, do you think my trouble is I was abused? No, I think your trouble was you had sex before marriage and it's sin and you need to repent of it. I mean, I think sin troubles our heart. So isn't that enough? And and I'm not, you know, look at me. I'm like Mary Magdalene. Who could, you know, I you know, whatever you've done, I've done it worse. I'm, I'm not judging you, but I'm just saying your problem is yeah. sin. It's not abuse. It's sin. Repent. Do it a lot. Oh. Join me.
0: Yes. Many thanks to my guest, Rosaria Butterfield. Join me next time for my conversation with Stephen Nichols about Machen, the man. From the moment he decides... I'm going to enter the fray 1922 to the time he dies he is a subject of controversy he's called a theological bigot he gets anonymous hate mail at princeton and one of them writes real big professor of bigotry
1: aka professor major
0: this episode of christianity and liberalism was brought to you by westminster seminary press westminster seminary press has published a brand new edition of the book this show is based on Christianity and Liberalism by J Gresham Machen. This 100th anniversary edition features a new forward by Kevin DeYoung and is available to order now at wtsbooks.com. Listeners to this podcast can get a free download of the Christianity and Liberalism audiobook at checkout when you enter the promo code MACHEN23. That's M A C H E N 23. This podcast was based on the book Christianity and Liberalism by J Gresham Machen and hosted by David Brionis. This episode was produced by Josh Curry and Jimmy Atkins. Audio captured by Paul Quorum. Edited and engineered by Will Boblitz. Our theme song was written by Timothy Brindle and produced by Nobody Special. Thanks for listening.
1: Maitre wrote Christianity and liberalism to demonstrate they're two completely different religions. Liberalism denies man's wicked condition and divine inspiration with which scripture was written. Us Christians are convinced scripture's truly factual, but liberalism denies the supernatural. Matrons book definitely showed Christianity and liberalism are diametrically opposed. It's not a different version of Christianity, it has opposite views of God and humanity. Often disguised with Christian terminology, they the serpent's absurd philosophy So when we call you a liberal, it's not just political But rejecting his virgin birth and all of his miracles From trusting in science But against God, it's disgusting defiance Self is your trust and reliance The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is gone and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God, we will stand We bring the antithesis, the lamb's dripping wrist is still the only answer for man's wickedness The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is gone and he's man Upon the rock of the word of God, we will stand See you now. With Machen we will tell Faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell Machen press men to be honest Don't call it Christian if it essentially is godless Christianity is based on events God accomplished Christ was sent to bring redemption he promised Not just an ethical leader, respectable teacher But God in the flesh Yes, our blessed redeemer In affront to human pride You can only be saved by faith in Christ who was crucified Amen. Our greatest needs to be redeemed by the Son It's not what would Jesus do but what Jesus has done. Since we're slaves to doubt, pride, and lust. We're in desperate need of rescue that's outside of us. An understatement to say that we're flawed in need of what Machen called a creative act of God. Cause we're torn by sin. We've been abhorring him. Not just sick but dead. We must be born again. God's enemies his arrogant opponents who can only be saved by vicarious atonement. Judgment fell on Christ in my place. Unrighteous guilty sinners are only righteous by grace. Scriptures, historical acts, they us certain. Jesus the God-man, the supernatural person. We need new hearts, he's the compassionate surgeon. By his death and resurrection, he's smashing the serpent. The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is gone and he's man. Upon the rock of the word of God we will stand. We bring the antithesis, the lamb's dripping wrists, is still the only answer for man's wickedness. The line is drawn in the sand, Christ is gone and he's man, upon the rock of the word of God we will stand. Right. C&L, with matron we will tell, faith in Christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell. My intention is to show, and I'll mention in this flow, Machen's words are as useful as a century ago. Uh-huh. Liberalism breeds destruction, it's hopeless, today it's deconstruction and wokeness. Rooted in paganism, atheism, like Satan's mission to make CRT state religion. These abominations we see to this day in denominations like the PCUSA. Why embrace Machen's great wisdom in light of the claims of his racism? In 1913, Machen wrote mom complaining, angry about Princeton's campus integration. I can't believe the decision of Warfield, but this cancer of heart I'm sure the Lord healed. See, Warfield became Machen's mentor, an instrument for Machen to repent more. Showing his need of the Savior to change him, but consider the Lord's grace of sanctification. Machen became friends with an African American named Charlie Machen. Gladly had cherished him. As a matter of fact, Charlie had a cataract. Skin color didn't matter as Machen had his back. Paid for the operation, stayed with him in the hospital. Christ changing Machen, not an impossible obstacle. From his love for his friend Charlie, it's quite clear Christ was changing Machen partly. Any bigotry left that's not there any longer. Perfected now in the presence of his father the line is drawn in the sand christ is gone and he's man upon the rock of the word of god we will stand we bring the antithesis the lambs dripping wrists is still the only answer for man's wickedness yeah. the line is drawn in the sand christ is gone and he's man upon the rock of the word of god we will stand yeah. cnl with mason we will tell faith in christ still the only way to be redeemed from hell